welcome to the Garden Angeles, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma. Hey, Carol. Hey, Dee. Special episode this time. Yes, it's number 50 of our regular weekly episodes, which means we are almost coming up on one year. Exciting. Dee, we're going to have to something, come up with something so exciting for the first anniversary of our podcast. We'll have to think on that. We will, since this is the first time we're mentioning it. But that's how we roll. Exactly. We are going to talk about flowers and veggies and all the best dirt today. Okay. Want to talk about flowers first? Because we always do. We shall. Do you want me to read the poem? I do. I'll give it my best shot. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or veils and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. That's from I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud by Williams, William Wordsworth. That is a beautiful poem, and that means we are talking about daffodils. Yes, and whenever I read that poem, it always reminds me of a photo I saw of P. Allen Smith's lawn at his Moss Mountain farm in about April, and it was just this huge hill of golden daffodils, and I wonder if he still has those. I wonder, because daffodils in the right location will last a long, 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 long time. In fact, they'll often naturalize, which is something we wish all bulbs would do, but only some. Right. And there's a place uh, not far from here where there was a person who actually used to be in my garden club who famously planted thousands of daffodils and people used to go and look look at them in the spring. They used to come from miles around, but I hear that it's not a well-maintained property now, so which is kind of sad. It is kind of sad. Gardens kind of go away when the gardener leaves them one way or another. But daffodils is something that when people get into daffodils, they can fall headlong into daffodils and (laughs) they end up joining the American Daffodil Society. Have you done that? No, but I know some people in the Daffodil Society. You do? I don't uh-huh. know any. Well, actually, I do. Brent and Becky Heath of Brent and Becky's Bulbs. I'm sure they are in the American Daffodil Society since they're hybridizers. Yes. And there are many people that do some, um, I'll call them amateur hybridizing to come up mm-hmm. with their own varieties. And that's probably pretty fun, but probably something I'm not going to do. How about you? No, I hybridized a few daylilies, and that's as far as I went. And I didn't create anything that needed to be created, so those are all gone. But some people I know do it. So quick, I'm going to test you now. Name two other names that people call daffodils by. Are you talking about the botanical name? Because that would be Narcissus. That's one. And the other one would be Jonquils. That's it. Very good. You passed Thanks. the test. And that wasn't in our notes, everybody. I just knew it. And jonquils really refer to southern daffodils, although I think you can grow them north because you grow them. But Yes. I think of uh, the jonquils as uh, small daffodils and having a very uh, thin stem and yes. a very small flower. Yes. Much m- more like the original daffodils, I think. Right. Heirlooms. 
So the society, as we shall refer to the American Daffodil Society, has a website which has all the information you would ever want to know about daffodils and then some stuff that you never even knew you didn't know that you now want to know. (laughs) Right. Like, for example, they put all of the different types of daffodils into something called a division. So there are 13 divisions, 13 different divisions, and there are a couple of subdivisions. Exactly. So I'm looking at them. There's trumpet daffodils, which is the big ones that a lot of people think of. Mm -hmm. Large cupped, which, and they tell you the differences. I would know a difference between a trumpet and a large cupped to save my soul. Right. It has something to do with the size of the petals behind the cup and... Yeah, it's right. complicated. There's small cupped. There's doubles. I have some doubles in my garden. They're pretty. I do, too. I love my doubles. There's triandrus. Then we're getting into ones I've never seen. Cyclamineus daffodils. Mm-hmm. Cyclamen types. The jonquils, which we talked about. The tazettis, which would be the kinds that we usually force inside. Right. The uh, poeticus, you know, they're pretty, I guess. <laughs> Bulbico- <laughs> Bulbicodiums, which I've I've never seen. Split mm. cup. I have some split cups. There's the split cup collar and split split cupped <laughs> papillon. Try to say that three times. I'm not. <laughs> uh, then there's ones called other. I like that. Other. Anything that just doesn't fit into these other divisions, we'll just call other. And then there's the daffodils that are distinguished solely by their botanical name, which would be the species or wild hybrids. Okay. Do you feel any more enlightened now that you've gone through this list? Well, I wanted to say there was other there was one other kind, and that's the miniatures. And so you could go through all the divisions and put the word miniature in front of it, and you would have a whole new grouping. Oh, good grief. Okay, so now that we've thoroughly confused everybody, I don't pay much attention to any of this stuff except if I'm trying to – I would pay attention to Tazetas because I like to force them inside, and I don't like Ziva because it stinks, in my opinion. Now, there are Southern gardeners who always comment on my blog when I talk about how Ziva stinks. Ziva is a cultivar for people who don't know. Um, It's the one that's most commonly sold as a paper white, which is another name for Tazetta daffodils. And the thing about Ziva is I think it stinks, but Southern gardeners can grow it outside, and they say it smells wonderful outside. There are some Tazettas that are hardy enough for Zone 7, which is my zone, geranium comes to mind as one. But most of them are not, and so people can grow them way down south where it doesn't get that cold. Definitely not hardy here, but there are so many daffodils that are hardy here that we don't really miss them. No, and if you want to do them inside, we can link to a blog post I have which talks about some of the other varieties, like Inbal is one of them, I-N-B-A-L-B-A-L. That's a good one that doesn't smell so strongly. Right. So daffodils are uh, easy to buy. They sell huge, huge, huge bags of them at all the big box stores because they think people want to naturalize them, and they do. And our advice is always buy the biggest, best bulbs you can afford. Right. 
And they're not always at the big box store. Sometimes it pays to order them from the sources. And we'll list many of the bulb sources we use because you will be surprised how big and lovely those bulbs are. Yeah, some of them are huge. And sometimes you'll get doubles, double bulbs of daffodils when you order from various companies. I've also seen them at one of our local nurseries before in a great big bag that you can see through. And if you can see through the bag, you can see what the biggest bulbs are, which is important. It is. And unlike tulips that we talked about last year that often behave as annuals and don't return reliably, daffodils usually come back year after year after year. Mm-hmm. And the, the trick is they like a, a, a sunny location with good drainage and um, don't cut back the foliage until it yellows, which can drive some gardeners nuts Yep, because they don't like to see that yellow dying, dying foliage. And I have a neighbor around the way, and she kind of groups it all up and then ties a rubber band around it and doubles it over. And it's like, don't be playing hairstylist with your foliage either. You know where that got started? Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart did that way back in the day. And, and, you know, everybody did it because she did it because she said it made them look tidier. But now, of course, we've learned that that's not good for them at all. You just have to let the foliage die in place and you can plant certain things to cover up some of the foliage good thing is daylilies daylilies come up and get pretty bushy right about the time that you have all that daffodil foliage that's getting on your nerves and also hostas and i know how you just said they like full shade but in my part of the world you can grow daffodils in did you say you said full sun i just said full shade i'm right. full sun um in my part of the world because it is so hot You can also plant them beneath trees, and they do just fine. I've never had any trouble with them not returning. And you can plant them here in what I'll call dappled shade, Mm -hmm. where the trees haven't leafed out yet, and so it's getting pretty good sun. That's also a good location. I just wouldn't plant them under pine trees or anything like that. No, because, yeah, that's a good idea. No pine trees, probably. So... Let the foliage yellow naturally and just get over the idea that the garden has to be all neat and tidy and green all the time. Okay. I try. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> occasionally, I cut, occasionally I do cut them. I cut back my foliage, but you're not supposed to do that, listeners. I'm just saying. Don't do what Dee's does. <laughs> does. Do what Carol does. <laughs> Carol's lazy. She leaves the foliage. I leave it as long as I can stand it. And then occasionally I have to pull it out. And when it gets close, I start pulling on it. But anyway, you can put all that foliage onto your compost pile, which is good. Yes. So what's your favorite daffodil? Um, I have several favorites. I, I mentioned Narcissus geranium. It is a Tazetta type, but it's hardy in Oklahoma, and it has a really nice scent. It is a smaller daffodil, very cute. I love ice follies which is part of division two, which has large, large blooms. It has white petals with a large, flat lemon yellow cup that turns white as it ages. So you start out with this lemon yellow and white daffodil that fades. Do you grow that one? I do not. Oh, you should. It's a good one. And then probably my very favorite one is uh, Thalia. And Thalia is all white. And she's part of the triandrous daffodil group, which means two or more flowers per stem. And every once in a while, Thalia only has one flower per stem, but whatever. Um, All white selection. She throws back her petals like she's thrilled spring is here as she ages. And she came out in 1916. 
And you can find her a bunch of places because she naturalizes really well. And I have Thalia and she is charming. I love her. Oh, and, and then we, we should also mention that the bit, in my opinion, and you can tell me if you agree, the bigger the daffodil, the bigger the leaves. So if you want leaves that don't show up as much, try some of the heirloom ones because they don't have as many. Their leaves are smaller. That's I well, may be I may be totally wrong on that, but that's just my experience. Well, if that's your experience, I don't really have that experience. You don't? Because uh, I'm not a huge fan of daffodils. I have quite a few, and I'll tell you what I'm doing with them. So I like the, and I call it tay-to-tay, and I know you say it differently. <laughs> tet-a-tet. Yeah. It's, which are the t- there's no duh in it. It's tet-a-tet. <laughs> tet-a-tet. <laughs> and they're tiny, and they are the first daffodils to bloom, and they bloom when they're about three inches tall in my garden, and I really like those. Mm-hmm, they're cute. And they spread and naturalize some, and I've kind of dug them up and moved them around in the green. So that's a great one. Mm-hmm. And then I've got my fried egg daffodils. Which Is that the one they also call butter eggs? Could be. It's got a, a yellow trumpet and white petals, so it looks like a fried egg. Huh. Oh, okay. So I'm thinking of a totally different one. Butter and eggs is one that has one of those... It's got double petals and, I mean, a double crown, and it's all squished together, and it's white and yellow, and so it looks like scrambled eggs. No, I don't have scrambled eggs. I just have fried eggs. <laughs> but they're in various places, and um, as as different shrubs have gotten bigger, they start to crowd out the daffodils. Because yeah. you know how you plant the shrubs, and then you plant daffodils. So I've been digging them up in the spring, in the green, as they say. And then I'm moving them back and just creating this long row along the vegetable garden. And they can grow there to their heart's content. And I mostly then use them as cut flowers to bring in in the spring. Well, they are nice. I bring in a lot as cut flowers too, because I have tons and tons of daffodils all over my five acres. And uh, yeah, I have a lot. And remember, when you cut daffodils to bring them inside... They do not play well with the other cut flowers, and they need to be in their own vase. Yeah, and and as you're cutting them, I would put them down in water immediately, you know, a bucket of water, so you can get some of that sappy stuff off of them. That way it's not so bad. That sappy, gluey stuff is what makes them not play very well with other cut flowers, so keep Mm -hmm. them in their own arrangement. And if you have a variety of them, and a lot of times you can buy big bags with like 10 different varieties, it creates a very lovely bouquet all on its own. Okay. And I just have a couple more things I wanted to share about daffodils. Um, pink daffodils. Do you have any? Pink? Yeah. Pink cups. Mm, no. Almost all of them have a white, have white petals with a pink cup. And so are pink daffodils really pink? Well, sort of. Um, a lot of times in the catalogs, they look really pink, but it is more of a salmony pink and it becomes peachier as the as the flower ages. And so people need to know that because sometimes other spring flowers do not play well with that shade of pink. A good example would be like the antique shades, uh, violas, or actually I think they're, they're pansies, not violas, but those antique shade, they're a very blue pink and it doesn't look very good with the pink and white daffodils. Ask me how I know this. (laughs) Well, Dee, you must know this because you've tried to put them together. Well, yeah, because I didn't know. 
when I first put, and I have a bunch of pink and white uh, daffodils in my front flower beds. And so I do not put the, any of anything else pink in there while they're blooming. It just doesn't look right. And then one more thing. So everybody talks about King Alfred daffodils. You've heard it all your life. I've heard it all my life. Sure. It's a very famous one. Right. But you probably aren't buying King Alfred if you buy King Alfred. And I went and looked this up just to make sure I had my information right. And this is from the Missouri Botanical Garden. And King Alfred was a pure yellow division one, which means large um, daffodil. And it was introduced in 1899 it was the standard for a yellow trumpet daffodil. And so even till the 1950s, it was, well, then they developed other King Alfred type daffodils and other cultivars, which were better and bigger and brighter. And so you will still see them, but a lot of times they are not King Alfred. They're probably Dutch master or a King Alfred type of daffodil. So you're probably not buying King Alfred, just, just a little, tidbit. Yeah. And I would guess that the growers in the, um, the Netherlands where they, they have their work cut out for them because daffodils readily hybridize amongst one each other when they're naturalized. Sure. And so if you do get some that come up from seed versus uh, the bulb from the previous year, you might get something different. Well, and see how things got mixed up. Yeah. And I think they were improving upon it, but the name was so synonymous that people just kept calling it a King Alfred. I still hear that sometimes. And I'm like, well, that's probably not King Alfred, but you know, it's a type, which means big yellow daffodil. And that type is often sold at the big box stores um, because they'll, they'll sell those for naturalizing. Um, I thought of something else, but I can't remember now. Two other things to remember. I guess it's one thing is as with most flowers, if you're going to cut them to bring them inside, cut them when they're in the bud, just barely showing color, and then you will get the bloom to last longer. If you cut them while they're in full bloom, they won't last like a day, and then you'll have to pull them out. You know when I usually cut mine? When? Right before a big old freeze is going to hit, and then I just go out there and cut handfuls of them and bring them in in all different ways because I know that once that freeze hits, they'll all be lying on the ground. So late spring freeze in Oklahoma, I cut my daffodils. Well, and I tell you, the other thing that gets people really worried is in the fall, the little tips of daffodils can be showing. Yeah. And then in the, in the late winter, they see the little tips and everybody's worried that their daffodils are going to get frozen out and it doesn't hurt the foliage at all. It's nope. just if the flower is present, it might hurt the flower. Mm-hmm. But as long as it's just the foliage, it's going to be fine and people should just calm down. Yeah, because we always get questions about this each spring. I promise you, I get lots. And yeah, the little tips might turn slightly yellow, but just don't worry about that stuff. It'll all be okay. Right. And that that's good advice for everybody out in the garden is just calm down. It's all okay. Just calm down. <laughs> Except for it's really hard to calm down when everything's in bud and in, you know, leafing out and then you find out it's going to be 23 degrees tomorrow. I'll try to stay calm when that happens next spring. Okay. And you'll hear my voice in your head. Just be calm. Yeah, more likely I'll be crying you, calling you and crying is what will be happening, but whatever. You can talk me off the ledge, Carol. I can do that. Ready to go on to the veggie? Yeah, let's go on to the veggie. I love this quote. I love this quote. I found this quote. Are you ready? I'm ready. Kale is a superfood, and its special power is tasting bad. (laughs) 
That's from the comedian Jim Gaffigan, who is, by the way, from Indiana originally, up in the northern part of the state. He is very funny. He's he's very funny. He is. <laughs> Him and his hot pockets. But he does not like hot pockets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Kale, I actually like Kale. Not everybody does. And you know, I don't mind if Kale is in something, mm-hmm. but just to eat a bowl of Kale is not my deal. But if you have a little shredded up Kale in a salad... I ain't freaking out. And I actually have had cooked kale in mashed potatoes, like Irish mashed potatoes. Very delicious. Yeah, very good. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason we're talking about kale is kale is one of those vegetables that even if you have a light frost in the fall, it's still fine. Yeah, you could plant the seeds now where I live and it would be fine. It might not come up because we're supposed to have some cool weather, but it'll come up really early next spring. I know that won't happen for you in Indiana, but here you could do that. If you have a cold frame, which is uh, would allow you to protect from freezes and things, you could probably start some kale from seed inside right now, transplant it out to your cold frame, and you might have some decent kale to harvest in a little bit. Yeah, there you go. And I can plant in a cold frame too. In fact, I need to plant my cold frames, but I just haven't been in the mood. Okay, moving on. Uh, kale, curly kale is great for kale chips. And I have a recipe for kale chips on my blog that we're going to link to. Dinosaur kale, which is a much more, it's a thinner leaf, isn't so curly, a beautiful, lovely, dark green color, and it has pebbles in it like the skin of a dinosaur, hence the name. A beautiful kale and um, great in stews at the end. And I have an ornamental kale that's in a little flower arrangement I have, or planter arrangement on my front porch. And I am not eating it. It's ornamental kale. It's just for the pretty leaves. Though okay. I could eat it, but I'm not. But this pretty leafed kale, is it red? What is it? Is it red? Uh, purple? It's uh, reddish purple. You could eat it, but it probably wouldn't taste that great. Although I'm, you can buy red kale. It. Okay, you don't have to. You don't have to eat I'm it. I'm not eating it. I'm not. <laughs> you can add dinosaur kale at the end of a soup or stew. Like if you make a, it's really good with bean soups and lentil soups. And you just add it at the end for like the last five minutes and it brightens up the soup and it's very good. I do that to my husband. Yeah. And if you have too much kale, which for some of us, the, the, the threshold for too much kale is much lower than for others. <laughs> you, you, you can cut it into pieces or clean it really well, cut it into pieces and then blanch it and freeze it. And you just throw it in the boiling water and immediately take it out and dunk it in cold water, ice water, and then like pack it into uh, ice cube trays and then freeze it. And then you could use it at that point to add to smoothies or throw it the last minute into a stew or something if you wanted. That's a lot of trouble, Carol. I'm not doing that. (laughs) I'm not doing that either. I either eat, I mean, it lasts so long in the fridge, I either eat it or... Say I don't eat it, I would feed it to the chickens or go put it on my compost pile and say, oh, well. And right there, it lasts a long time in the refrigerator. So right away, it's suspicious. <laughs> You're not a big <laughs> kale fan. I get it. <laughs> oh, Hey, so I'm going to let you read the last, next list because you, you tell us the problems with kale. Okay, so I don't have a lot of problems with kale. The only time I have ever had problems with kale is if I plant the seed or plants, you know, starts way too early and it's still warm and the cabbage butterflies are out flying around, then I'm going to have some kale problems. Um, Also, I might have problems in late 
spring if I don't harvest everything. And then I'll have some problems too. But here are all the problems you can have with kale. You can have cabbage aphids, which I've had those one time on some ornamental kale that I left in the ground all winter long. And then when I went to pull it, it had cabbage aphids. Those were kind of gross. Uh, cabbage loopers, cabbage worms, that takes us back to those cabbage butterflies. Um, start seeds when the weather's cooler. Um, cover your kale plants in late spring when they start to lay eggs, etc., etc. Um, diseases. There are so many diseases that I didn't know about. I, I've never had any trouble with any of this. But I got this list from Plant Village, which is a division of Pennsylvania State University. So here they are. There's Altanaria leaf spot. There's damping off, downy mildew, and black rot. So to stop having those problems, if you indeed have them, be sure and rotate your crops. We tell you to do that anyway because it's just good management. Also, buy good plants. If the kale, if you're going to buy transplants, and they sell transplants this time of year quite a bit in my part of the world, um, buy good plants. Don't buy diseased plants. Same thing you do with tomato plants and other transplants. Keep your area cleaned up and don't let plants go too long in the spring. That refers back to when I found those yucky aphids. Um, they get stressed and they get sicker and they like cool weather, which we knew, right? Cool weather means healthy kale. Right. We're sure making that plant sound sickly. Yeah. And it's really easy to grow. And I have a confession to make. What's that? I grew some kale this spring and I left it in the garden all summer. And just this past week, I pulled it out and threw it on the compost pile. <laughs> and you did it and you didn't eat it? Uh, it was huge. Okay. So, I mean, but never, did you eat any of the kale that you planted last spring? I ate a few leaves of it earlier in the spring, but most of it, I just let it grow. And then I thought, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and I threw it on the compost pile. I didn't check for diseases or insects or anything. Yeah. I just threw it on the compost pile. It'll be Okay. Things will eat it, and it'll go back to the earth, and all, all will be well. Um, all will be well. I do that. I have a confession. I do that with Swiss chard because I really <laughs> think Swiss chard is beautiful. It is a beautiful plant, especially the ones that have the colored stems, but I, I think it's disgusting. I love kale, but I hate Swiss chard. So when we talk about Swiss chard, we'll discuss that further. <laughs> well, the Swiss chard in my garden? Yeah. It's now under the kale in the compost bin. <laughs> Do you like Swiss chard? Not really. But no, it's, but it's pretty. pretty. Isn't it pretty? Like there are all these pictures of it on my blog and in books. And I say every time, I love the way it looks in the garden. I think it's beautiful, but I don't really like to eat it. Oh, we well. get suckered in. We get so suckered in by pretty plants. We do. We even plant vegetables that are not our favorites. <laughs> A fancy leaf kind of wiggles at us and waves in the breeze. And the next thing you know, we got to grow it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. So let's move on to our dirt. I like this dirt. Okay. We don't have a quote. So this is an easy question that everybody knows the answer to. You think? Do you? Maybe not. <laughs> I don't think they do. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> do you leave your leaves in the fall or do you rake them up? Now, when you say leave the leaves, are you talking about leaves on grass, leaves in your garden, or leaves like at the edge of your property if you live out in the country? Because there's a big difference. Yes. And so I would say that in your, here's what I think D is doing. Edge of the property, those leaves are left alone. Right. 
lightning bugs, fireflies. They like to they like to nest in leaves. So out in the edges of the property where it's forested and I don't try to grow things, I leave them. And on your flower beds, if a leaf happens to fall in a flower bed, it gets to stay. A leaf, yeah. Piles and piles. <laughs> you break some of those off and yep. put them on the compost. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the lawn, you clean off the lawn. Yeah, especially fescue. Fescue lawn and leaves do not mix. And certain perennials and piles of leaves do not mix. It also depends on what kind of leaves we're talking about because oak leaves are heavily fibrous and most of my woods are oak leaves. And I'm looking outside my window right now and they are falling on my garden as we speak. Those leaves have to be picked up or otherwise they smother my perennials. And one of our friends wrote about this last year on Garden Rant and we're going to link to it because um, Elizabeth Licata wrote about it and she kind of talks about it this issue. Right. And it's, believe it or not, the subject of what to do with one's leaves in the garden in the fall creates great controversy amongst gardeners. Which On is Facebook. Re- <laughs> which is places. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew that, con- you know, actually gardeners are quite controversial and um, argue about many things, but who would have thought that? Um, I also have a leaf mulcher that all my leaves go into the ones that go off my lawn. And so my son, it goes behind one of our garden tractors. It was a birthday present one year. Some women asked for jewelry. I asked for leaf mulchers. And so I like to use shredded leaves on my gardens. And so my son was riding it around our fescue lawnette, which is my little tiny fescue lawn in the front. And a reader on Facebook Got Because I showed the video, a reader on Facebook got on to me big time about the fireflies and how I was destroying habitat. And basically, I was causing the end of the world as we know it. Which is ridiculous. I use my regular walk-behind mower, which is a mulching mower. And in the fall, I snap a bag on it, and I capture the the, uh, mulch leaves and grass, and I put them on my vegetable beds. And then I don't – if any leaves fall on the beds – unless it gets really thick, I just leave them where they lay. I might lightly rake Mm -hmm. off the top just to kind of make sure that they're not going to get matted down. But D, I think we are united that leaf shaming, we are appalled by leaf shaming of any kind. (laughs) Leaf shaming. Um, I'm appalled by garden shaming, period. (laughs) Yes. I just think we should all be nice to each other. Um, One other thing about when you shred leaves um, earthworms get into those leaves and they, and if you put it on top of your garden beds, they get into your garden beds and they pull all that wonderful leaf mold down in there. And then the earthworms create frass, which is earthworm poop. And, um, it's fabulous stuff. It is fabulous stuff. The one thing we can shame people for is if they bag their leaves up and set them out for the trash man. Well, the thing is, if you have a compost pile, you can just go put those leaves as is in your compost pile. You don't have to shred them. They just won't break down as fast. Right. And then here in Indianapolis and in other places, you can leave them and set them aside separate from your trash. I think around here it starts in November and goes to like the first week of December. And they claim they will pick up the leaves and they will take them and they will empty the bags. I don't know what they do with all those bags. 
And they will make compost and then they sell that compost back to you. Oh, that's or nice. Go, I don't know if you can go pick it up for free. I think south of here, some of those uh, suburbs, you might be able to go pick it up for free later. Hmm. Which is nice. Yeah, that is nice. Either way, that's nice because compost is great stuff and it's it's wonderful for your garden for many different reasons. Um, I had another thought about leaves here and that's that we have in my part of the state, we have two leaf falls. We have one in the fall and we have one in the spring. So I deal with leaves twice in the season. Yeah, the t- things like um, oak, oak trees especially will hold their leaves Ten until oaks. spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we have so, d- several different oaks, and they'll do that. But, like, my honey locust has already shed most of its leaves, and they just fall in the grass, and they're so tiny you don't have to rake them at all. I just mow over them. Yeah, that'd be easy. Um, I almost have all oak trees, and they're all different kinds, and some of the oaks hold on to their leaves, and some of them don't. So it depends on the variety. But right now they're all turning the most glorious shade of bronze, which makes me very, very happy. Well, good. So we are united. Uh, no leaf shaming, no garden shaming. Yay. So can I tell you a story? I was in southern Indiana this past weekend speaking. Yes. In Gibson County. Wow. Good for you. And uh, it's, I don't consider it that south, but I got a question there and I had no idea. The lady said, how do you get rid of Bermuda grass? And I no way. had to laugh. I had to laugh because I said, well, up north in Indianapolis, we don't have Bermuda grass. I said, I hear it's really hard to get rid of. So good luck. That's a good way to answer that. Um, yeah, I would say if it's a small area, use a cro- cobra head uh, hand weeder or the long one, because that really does get down there under those roots. But the truth is, it's really hard to get rid of. Really hard. Yeah. And I, I said, you know, in... If it's in a driveway or something like that, I said, I think my friend has used the scorched earth method where he used fire to get rid of it. Yep. But I said, I really, we don't have it in Indianapolis and I hope we never do. Really? I, I'm surprised that I'm surprised it can go that far north. In I Indiana. was kind of surprised Ooh. too. Oh, well, you may have to brush up on Bermuda. Well, I hope not. <laughs> Anyway, they were very lovely people down in Gibson County. I told them about our podcast, and maybe we got a few new listeners down there. So this is a shout-out to those fine, fun people. Yay. Thanks for listening. Yes. And they, there was another county that sent some representatives from, um, I think it's Davies County. And those master gardeners have the best name for their gardening group. Do you want to hear what it is? Sure. Guardians of the Garden. Ooh, that's cute. I like it. I do. And I'm like, can I buy a t-shirt? <laughs> I like it. Did they have t-shirts? Well, it wasn't their master gardener event. They had just uh. come up or down, I think down to see it. I don't know where they, I'll have to look at the map. But anyway, um, I've liked them on Facebook. They know who I am. And I'm like, please, please, please. I need to buy a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. I like it. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy, but That's awesome. Um, We want to thank everybody for chatting with us over the Garden Gate today. And you can reach us at thegardenangelist at Gmail. You can reach us at thegardenangelist on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love some more Instagram followers. And we will put up some pictures of all kinds of things this week and hopefully lure you over to listen. Thanks so much for listening. It was great chatting over the Garden Gate with you, Carol. Have a great week. 
and talk to you next week. Bye now. Bye.